Renee Buckingham from Sydney and Melbourne Vegan Guides and this is the show where we pull back the filter on the industry of influencing, content creating and brand partnerships. We ask big names for their tips, tricks and routines and we also talk to the brands, the managers, the lawmakers, filmmakers, possibly even cake makers and ask them the question, do you even influence? But seriously, do you? Hey friends, welcome back to another episode. My gosh, never did I dream of having a guest like today's on my podcast, but I'm really fucking grateful that we did. I was actually really nervous and a little bit anxious going to interview today's guest. Uh, if I'm honest, I yeah have been a massive fan of hers for a while and I'm sitting in my room right now recording this, looking at my bookshelf with her brand new spanking book on there. Uh, Chantelle Otten is a psycho-sexologist based here in Melbourne. You might know her, you might not. Um, either way, I think you're really going to get something out of today's episode. She somehow manages to run a clinic with 20 staff while also creating incredible content on her Instagram where she's gained 140,000 followers. She hosts podcasts, she's written her book and she's also very busy hanging out with her super athletic boyfriend Dylan Alcott and their very cute sausage dog. On today's show we talk a lot about sex. Shock horror, a sexologist on the show and we talk about sex. Crazy, right? But Chantelle also tells us about the journey from starting her own clinic at 26 to exploding in popularity on social media and the benefits it has had for her message. My social media has taken off and that people do have the opportunity to learn through that as well. Because for every one person who comes into my clinic, there are thousands more with the same concerns. She also talks about the issues with censorships that she has faced from Instagram for actually just talking about sex when this is literally her job, which had her account shut down. I I have to pay 20 staff like, and that's Mm -hmm. through people who book with me. And if they can't find who I am and more about me through my social media, then I put not myself in jeopardy, but all of them as well. Side note, guys, it's definitely a good reminder, a message for us all to remember, diversify your platforms. And she tells us about the sorts of clubs she has gotten offered and what she looks for when working with a brand. I really believe in long-term collabs because I only want to be authentic with my followers and tell Mm -hmm. them things that I really like. So if I am asked to look at like a product or like a service, I have to use that for a while before I actually promote it. Please enjoy this episode with the very incredible and amazing and inspiring Chantelle Otten. All right. Welcome to the show, Chantelle Otten, award-winning sexologist and someone who is incredibly passionate about normalizing sexuality. How are you today in sunny, sunny Melbourne, which is rare for us? I'm really good. You know, I'm excited to be here, but I'm also like so happy that the sun is turning out because... It's been a minute for Melbourne. It's been a bit crazy weather, so I'm glad that we're here now. Also, I give it to like 5 p.m. tonight. We'll be back in like a thunderstorm or hailstorm. Yeah, hailstorm, so, floods. <laughs> absolutely. Classic Melbourne. We start every episode with an icebreaker, and I'm interested mm. to know if you could have dinner with anyone in the world, who would it be and what would you be having on the menu? Um, Esther Perel, who's a oh. psychotherapist who talks about desire and infidelity and all these amazing topics that I'm really interested in. Uh, she's been someone that I've learned a lot of through her uh, media channels. What would we be having? We'd probably have French because I know she's from French. Uh, she's from Belgium, but she's from the French Quarter and I love steak tartare. I love, you know, mussels with white wine. I'd love fries with mayonnaise. So we'd probably be having that. Delicious. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, you've had such an incredible history. But before we get into it all, what did you want to be growing up? I didn't. Ha- I don't think like that. I didn't have any thoughts like that. I was like maybe like an engineer or something. Um, but, you know, I like working with people, but I'm also really into like my dad's a, a builder, but he also collects vintage cars. So I was like always a bit like, well, maybe I'll like be a race car driver or an engineer or something in in that industry. And um, when I did careers testing, there were like psychology or yeah, mechanics. So that's yeah. where I was going. Cause I'm really good at like focusing in on something. So I'm glad I went the direction I did, but if I, if I ever get sick of it, maybe I could fall back. <laughs> see you on the racetrack. <laughs> yeah. See you on the racetrack. I do racing, car racing with my dad. So I'm like really, I love the adrenaline rush. Amazing. I mean, I'm not surprised as someone that lives a very adventurous and open lifestyle. I can see that for you. Well, um, we'll stay tuned. See you at the Grand Prix, maybe. <laughs> um, what was sex ed like for you at school or in your home life growing up? 
Well, I didn't get sex ed at school because I went to a Catholic school. And interestingly enough, like I'll have people message me, DM me on Instagram that go or have like been to my school now that come out with sexual concerns, like, you know, sexual pain or like, you know, confusion around their sexuality because we just, we were, it was kind of like anti-sexuality there is very much like the typical, very religious view of sex. And then like in my home life, I wouldn't say it was like a huge amount of education, but I would say that it was like, we were just taught that like sex is okay. And like, it's a healthy part of our relationship and that it's pretty normal. So yeah, you know, we, we just kind of, we just kind of like, it was just a bit more normalized that we didn't really go into detail, but we were always kind of comfortable talking about it and embracing it. And, you know, we were allowed to have a safe space at home with our respective, you know, part, sexual partners or whoever. My my parents are like, yeah, like whoever. They'll just say hi to whoever comes downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning. Yeah, they really That's do. The They're best. like, do you want something to eat? Like, oh, <laughs> it's really cute. It's so, I guess, rewarding to hear. I think so many people don't talk about it. Recently this came up with my friends and it's like, what's one thing you wish you were taught in school? And everyone was just like sex ed. I think all we were really talked about was, you know, here's a banana and here's a condom and that's all there is to sex ed. So um, it's really nice to hear that your home life had a different story. Obviously, you influence so many people to explore and feel confident about their own sexuality and behaviors and identity. Who influenced you to be so open to talking about sex originally? Was it your family? myself. (laughs) No, I mean, because like I said, they were open. I just never thought it was an issue. Like I didn't realize that other people were so closed off about it. And still now, you know, like I am in such a sex positive bubble that I just don't realize that, you know, even some of my friends don't have this same openness. And I'll get reminded when I go on like media interviews or on podcasts and people are like, so like, when do you, like, when do you bring sex toys in? You know, we've been together for nine months and I'm like, oh, you should have had this conversation. Like, like at one, at one day, like you can bring them in whenever you want. So I think like for myself, I've always been a bit of like, I'm, I've always been open. I've always been able to talk about taboo things. I, I guess like, if I think about it, I was talking about this with my mom the other day. My grandmother, my Oma, she's Dutch and I am like her mini me. She passed away a while ago, but she was controversial like myself. And, you know, she was very much into fashion and very much into like leopard print. And she had red hair, like dyed red yes. hair, red clothes. So if I look at myself now and like my blue hair, my blue clothes, and, you know, I am, I know that I am very open. I think that it probably came also from her. She was very flirtatious. She would always, you know, talk about sex you know, it, it was really, really interesting. So I, I think a lot of that kind of energy came from her. Oh, she yeah. sounds awesome. She was Especially, amazing. I miss yes. her. Oh. So if someone asks you, I guess, what you do these days, there's so much short. There's the podcast, the clinic, uh, your author now as well. What do you say you do? I say I'm a sex detective Um, and then I say, I don't know what I do. (laughs) I don't know what I do with that, but I talk about sex and I help people with sex. And yeah, I I mean, I kind of have to break it down a little bit because a lot of people still don't know like what a sexologist is, who like who I am, all the components. Like a lot of my friends are like, you have over 20 staff. What? You did this? What? Like, I just don't talk about it that much. I'll be honest. I just kind of project into the world what I, what I think the world needs, which is good sex education. And I just keep moving and having fun. So for those listening that maybe are like what you just said, that don't really know what a sexologist is, what is it or how do you define it? So basically we are all going to have a sexual problem at some point, myself included. And we need to have someone to go to, to talk to about these things. And I am that person, you know, other sexologists, sex coaches, they're the, those people. I basically come from a psychology background and then I went into science and medicine and I specialized in sexual medicine and then became a uh, European qualified psychosexologist, which means that I deal with the biggest sexual organ, which is the brain. And I am there to figure out why you're having problems with your sex life and what 
what's contributing to that and how we can reach your goals of having a fun, healthy sex life. I am, of course, also an author of the book, The Sex Ed You Never Had. And then I run a podcast as well. I, I'm actually a few podcasts. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, really fun. Yeah. And then I'm a, you know, a partner and a dog mom and just a, a normal All friend, the important stuff. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously you started with your clinic in Collingwood. I also live north side, the best side of town. Um, Obviously, social media has played such a massive role in allowing for you to have a greater reach and have these conversations at, at a wider level. Do you think you have so much to credit social media for and being able to, I guess, reach more people, not just nationally, but globally now as well? Yeah, 100%. I, I think that it's sad that that's the case because I really wish that there was like a way that sexologists and sex experts could be more well-known without having to use social media to influence. I think it would have been great if they were integrated into the healthcare system a lot earlier, but it that's just, you know, the way the world works. So I'm very, very lucky that my social media has taken off and that people do have the opportunity to learn through that as well. Because for every one person who comes into my clinic, there are thousands more with the same concerns. And, you know, a sexologist isn't accessible for everyone. We're not under the healthcare scheme in Australia. So it is out of pocket expenses and a lot of people can't afford that. So I feel very lucky that I am able to use social media to be able to help people with their sexuality and to normalize their sexuality. Absolutely. And do you find that people, I guess, find it more of a safer space online to actually talk about these kind of taboo topics uh, or perhaps ask questions that they wouldn't ask face-to-face? It's a hard one because I I get thousands of DMs every week and I I actually, you know, I don't get paid to do social media. I don't get paid to answer people's questions online. So whilst I get these messages, it is hard in in one way that I I actually can't provide that kind of advice to people because you know, I also need to make a living and I need to be able to, you know, help myself at some point too, because I'm always giving. You know, there are some more platforms coming up. I'm I'm working with a friend of mine who's developed a platform where you get paid for your content and you're not censored for sexuality. It's called Sunroom. And with that, people will have the opportunity to message me and ask me questions in a paid capacity, which is really good because then I can provide more time and energy into that and help people on more of a, I guess, anonymous, you know, platform, which is great. Oh my gosh, I had no idea about this. And guys, we'll put all the links in the show notes as well. That's amazing. Mm. And we will get into a bit later, but the whole censoring around what you can and can't post, you know, we think we have so much autonomy and freedom on social Mm. media, but we actually don't as much as we like to think we do. When you first started talking about, I guess, all the topics you are so passionate about sharing on your Instagram, do you feel any sense of judgment or concern around your friends and family? Not really. I mean, my family, like my parents aren't on social media. They're like, how's the Facebook? Like they have no idea. um, (laughs) What's Instagram? (laughs) What's the Instagram? But no, I I, like my friends, my family have been all really supportive and look for anyone who hasn't been supportive. They just have gotten probably lost along the way because, you you know, you only give time and energy to the people that, that give you the time and energy and that are really backing you. And I think as you grow in this space, you don't have enough time for people that aren't there to support you. So I, I've never really had a problem, which has been amazing. All of all of my, like my brothers have to, you know, my brothers are on yeah. social media and they, they look at all my content and I'm sure like they shake their heads, but they're, they don't mind. I mean, I'm there to help others and I'm also there to express myself. If I can't show that I am a, you know, energetic person, that I have mm. that kind of, uh, I guess, that that part of sexuality in me, then mm. people aren't going to trust in my words. So I'm not explicit online, but it, it's still like, you know, I, I'm definitely more out there than most. <laughs> Absolutely. But I to be honest with you, the first time I ever gave a guy a head, I was like 16 and I called my brother, who's actually our producer. And like yeah, people find that so, yeah, people find that so uncomfortable and so cringeworthy, but it honestly just is breaking down the stigmas and the boundaries and like you make your own rules. So it's like really, um, I guess, refreshing to hear that, yeah, <laughs> other people like this exist as well. Yeah. 100%. Um, when you started your page, I'm sure you probably started as a personal Instagram and now obviously acts as more of a brand. At what point, I guess, did you realize that, okay, maybe this is more than just about me. This is actually a brand. And then obviously you expand into other um, platforms as well. 
It mine never started out as personal. I okay. did have a personal Instagram separately a long time ago, but this was like ages ago. If you go back to the bottom of my Instagram feed, it's always been professional. You know, actually it's gone from more professional into more about me as well. So my partner encouraged me to do that because I, there was never any photos of me back in the day. And when we started chatting, he like he was like, there's like no photos of you on here. Like I don't know. <laughs> He's probably trying to show his like. friends who he's dating. He's like, there's nothing here. It was like <laughs> just one quotes. Photo. One photo of me like wearing a hat on the air, (laughs) supporting those with breast cancer. And he was like, you need to like, people want to know who's behind the content. So it never started off as a personal page because I think like there had to be more of a barrier there for for me. And especially, you know, I was 26 when I started my clinic. I had to have some level of safety of of like being anonymous, of like protection. So I I really didn't feel safe at that point showing more of myself. I think I've eased into it a little bit more. And, and as I've grown, and I guess in the relationship that I have and the movements that I make, people have become more interested in who I am as a person. And I do show that and that has its pros and its cons, of course, because then you, you also lose a little bit of protection and a little bit of privacy, but you're also giving a lot more to people and you encourage them to be themselves and that it's okay. Yeah, and it creates a foundation, I guess, for relatability and a sense of security, knowing that who this um, person that you know is giving all this advice actually is as well. But also, I'm sure probably a vulnerable process to to do that in the beginning. At what point were you like? Did you have like a light bulb moment of like, okay, this is really like taking off now? Because I think probably not everyone would have envisioned for your page to be so huge and so successful in the beginning. Yeah. I mean, I was excited to just get to like a thousand followers back yes. in the day. Like I remember when I hit 10,000 followers and I could have a swipe oh, up swipe link. Oh, swipe up like, change. Wow. Yes. And now do you know that anyone can have a swipe anyone up? It's like, damn it. Swipe up. <laughs> <laughs> I worked so hard to get that swipe up. But yeah, I think like, I think when I reached 20,000 followers, like that was when I was like, I made it. But you know, for me, success is actually like helping patients and like them leaving my sessions feeling really good and coming back with good feedback. It's not so much about like followers. It's not so much about social media. So, but yeah, I think in terms of online, like I was happy with 20 grand. I can't, uh, 20 grand, 20,000. Oh my God. My brain. God, I wish I was happy. I wish I had 20 grand back then. I had nothing, a negative 20 grand back then. But yeah, I think like now I'm like, wow, like I can't believe I've got these, this many people who want to follow this content. Like it's it's crazy. I guess it's so hard as well to know when you're putting it all online and you actually don't know necessarily the impact or the reach that you're actually having. Like you said, your DMs get flooded all the time with advice. How do you, I guess, filter out what you what your limit is and what you can kind of put a boundary in place to be like, I actually can't provide this service for free because you give out so much free content and tips as well. Look, if it's a quick little like why don't you try this? I'll mm. I'll throw it out there. That's fine. I get that. Um, if people come to me and go, hey, got a quick question for you, and then it's like a full thesis, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, babe, like, why don't you book a session? Because yeah. I actually can't help anyone unless I really know more about them. It's not ethical for me to be giving out advice on social media to people that I don't know and I can't get a good history of what's been going on. So I don't do it because I'm also doing them a disservice. I think as well with Instagram and any kind of, I guess, online platform, tone is so important. I think just reading something is such a different conversation to having it in person. So I imagine, yeah, you'd be flooded with damn all the time and it would be really hard because you're obviously so passionate and incredible at what you do, but also putting a boundary in place to be like, I actually cannot <laughs> reply to 40, 400 DMs a day. Yeah. Um, you touched on this before and obviously with Instagram and TikTok censoring content and deciding what's, you know, nudity, what's inappropriate, what's not. How do you, I guess, manage this and have you had experiences with Instagram taking down content? Yeah, all the time. My yeah. Instagram got deleted for a week, 10 days or so. So, you know, I, I really think that there there is a big problem with social media and you know how it's being run well instagram and how it's being run and that's why platforms like sunroom are getting developed because they're not going to punish you for talking about sexuality you know they're not going to punish you for you know being being open with who you are and talking about things that are 
maybe for them taboo, but for us, like we really need to talk about these things. We need to have a more sex positive future. So yeah, I've, I've definitely had a lot of issues over the past, even things that aren't, it's just like a photo, like a photo of skin will get taken yeah. down. It's crazy. And so how did you get your Instagram account back? Because I know from my experience that you can't actually just contact someone on Instagram. There's like no direct email or contact there. It was hard, but I was lucky one of my friends knew someone who worked at Instagram, so she <laughs> was really helpful. If I didn't have them, then I would have yeah. been in a lot of trouble because I, you know, you you lose a lot. Like I will, that the my Instagram is there. It also holds up. I, I have to pay 20 staff, like, and that's mm. through people who book with me. And if they can't find who I am and more about me through my social media, then I put not myself in jeopardy, but all of them as well. So it was pretty scary for a week to think like, wow, like, all right, well, what am I going to do here? I'm going to have to find another way to hustle and that's okay. I'll do it. But, you know, you always have to be adaptable and flexible in this area. I think as well on that, Instagram's had many instances recently where they've just shut down for like six hours, something's gone wrong. And it really does make you think as content creators like, shit, I really need to diversify what I'm doing because if Instagram got taken away tomorrow, where's my income streams? And obviously you are doing that with the book and the podcast. Obviously today there are heaps of sex therapists out there, which I think is a really beautiful and important thing. What do you think you did specifically to help grow your platform to where it is today? I think just be authentic, you know, I think be authentic, support others. The more that you support others, the more that others will support you. You know, I really think that if I think about it, like I think there is a lot of people who are quite competitive out there and I don't feel that way. Like I want everyone to win. I want all my colleagues to win. I want all my staff to get too big for for working for me and like to have their own thing. So I think the best thing that you can do is just be supportive, be authentic, be out there. Don't get jealous. There's no point. Jealousy is an illness. And I know it's a healthy emotion, but it's still, you have to check yourself if that comes up and go, why am I feeling this way? Because it is so much better to just go, I love seeing you win. I love seeing you do better. And I I think like be persistent, work really hard, keep going with your content, make it interesting content, make it authentic content. You know, I, I, I do see out there these days that sometimes there's a lot of the same stuff and you don't want to be part of that mix. You want to be totally different and totally authentic and, and show who you are in your work. So that's what I've stuck to and it and it seems to be paying off, which I love. On that, one of my favorite quotes is don't try and be interesting, just be interested. And I think you do that so effortlessly and so mm-hmm. genuinely as well. And obviously why you've been so incredibly successful. As someone that talks about sex all the time, I guess when you're going out for lunch with your friends, do you have to have boundaries in place again around how much you can talk about it or how much free advice you can just be giving out when you're out for drinks with friends? My friends are always really good. In fact, like they don't really talk to me. Like they will like, they don't want to bother me, but I would love for them to be a bit more open. I think I have to have more boundaries. Like when I'm out and about in public or like I'll be in a club at like 2am and I'll have someone go, oh my (laughs) God, I've got so many questions for you. And I'm like, please like, don't ask me them because I'm not on the clock here. And I I really don't want to actually like here (laughs) right now about it. It's not, it's not the right time or place. So I do have to have boundaries and go, Hey babe, like I would love to chat about that. But you know, like, why don't you book a session with someone from my clinic? If I have friends that need help, you know, with their sex lives, often I send them to one of my colleagues first so that we don't actually have like a crossover. I'll I'll hear what's going on with them. But if it's, you know, something that requires a lot of work, I don't see them personally because I think that you need to keep like boundaries there. I don't want them to ever feel like they have to talk about these topics with me every time it comes up. So I usually refer them to one of my team who, you know, who are all amazing. And that, that seems to work quite well. And as a therapist yourself, I'm I'm such a cheerleader and believer that everyone should go to therapy for any reason. You don't have to be diagnosed with anything to have a therapist. Do you have a therapist yourself? I guess as someone that gives so much advice and your energy um, to others, how do you, I guess, stay sane yourself? I have a therapist. I see my therapist once a week. Yes, <laughs> and, and I take medication for my mental health as well. Mm-hmm. And I see a psychiatrist once a year to make sure that I'm feeling good because I'm also, you know, 
like everyone else. I'm not immune. (laughs) Um, I'm, I'm pretty happy, but I can get depressed as well, you know, and I can get anxious and I can feel overwhelmed and I have troubles with concentration. So I do try my best. It is exhausting giving so much to others and I need to give more to myself. But you forget about it once in a while and you'll end up, you'll be like, yeah. I'm fine, I'm fine, <laughs> I'm really your fine. Therapist. Yeah, 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 Look I'm all me. good. And then you'll be like, fuck, I'm so depressed. Like I really mm. need to get in here. Literally, I remember getting off the phone with my therapist a couple of weeks ago. And like obviously during the pandemic, it's been so awesome that they've been so busy because obviously people are reaching out and getting help. But I'm also like, I wonder if he sees someone. He should definitely see someone. Because <laughs> so we're just giving him our garbage and be like, okay, that's for you. Yeah, 100%. Oh, that's awesome to hear. Just jumping in here to the middle of the episode to let you know about the cards I recently launched, my own Unpopular Opinions and Spill the Beans conversational card games. You can now get them via our website, worldveganguides.com slash shop. Just in time for Christmas, these are really great cards that I actually wrote with my friends, trialed on my friends. My friend actually trialed them on a date uh, and they are the gift that keeps on giving because I honestly believe you can't put a price on these vulnerable and real conversations. Stop talking about the weather and the gossip and what you're going to wear for dinner and start talking about the shit that actually matters. Link in the show notes. All right, back to Chantel. Today you're obviously across every platform. You've got your book, your podcast. Tell us about the book, The Sex Ed You Never Had, that's obviously launched. I've got it here in my bedroom. What was it like writing um, this book and the whole process? (laughs) The process was really hard. (laughs) It's really interesting just like having stuff in your mind and trying to communicate in a way that's still fun. It's not too clinical because I I guess like when you come from a clinical background, you tend to be like pretty direct, pretty clinical with the way that you speak about things. So to put this in a way that's also fun, it feels like you're talking to a big sister or like a cousin about these topics. It took a lot of editing. It took a lot of editing. It took a village. You know, my best friend Georgie is also my manager. I think she's read the book about 12 times now. We were both <laughs> Shout like, out to Georgie. We love her. <laughs> we love you, Georgie. We were both like, oh, my God, we're sick of it by now. But it was amazing in the end, like, to see it all come to fruition, to see it out there and see so many people going, wow, I wish I had this when I was in school. Like, I wish I had this growing up. I'm going to pass this on to my children. I'm going to give this to my cousin for Christmas, et cetera. Like, incredible. So I'm, I feel really like happy that, that all the hard work paid off because I basically had a mental breakdown at the end. (laughs) It's normal. Yeah. Yeah. And your sex stories podcast. Oh my gosh. With Mama Mia. I listened to one the other day um, about you didn't know you were gay until you kissed a girl. And honestly, until I hooked up with a girl, I had no idea that I was bisexual. So Mm. I completely resonated with that. And it's got a real Dolly Doctor vibe about it. I love it. How exciting has it been to, I guess, not only have your own podcast, but then be approached to, you know, collaborate with Mama Mia and yeah, I guess have a bit of a Dolly Doctor vibe. You know, like every day I'm kind of like, why? Oh, people actually really want to talk to me. Like they want to hear what I've got to say. So I'm always surprised. I think in that element, it's really exciting. Like I'm always like, Georgie's like this, this brand wants to work with you. And I'm like, what? Really? Why? Like, it's so sweet. So I really love it. And I'm really grateful to to have the support. You know, Mia Friedman has always been really supportive of my work as well. So, you know, I, I'm just grateful that anyone wants to listen to what I've got to say. I think it's it's an amazing thing. Let's get into the business side of things. Mm. Often so many content creators get on this podcast and all openly admit they suffer from imposter syndrome or they don't think they're business savvy. I'm interested to know, do you think of yourself as someone that's business savvy? I do. I do really always have thought of myself as quite business savvy. Mm. It comes very normal, very easily to me. And I make a lot of mistakes along the way. That's pretty normal as well. Definitely wasn't financially savvy when I started my business. I had no idea what tax was. Like I had, I spent oh all gosh. the money that my business brought in. Literally. <laughs> and, and then the 20% you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. My mom was like, you owe like 30 grand. And I was like, you're going to have to spot me. I like have no money. You got and this so I mom. had to pay my parents back. But that's okay. You know, I, I, I'm i not that interested in the financial side, to be honest. Like that's why I have an accountant. That's why I have a bookkeeper that helps me out. You don't have to be the best at every single facet. You just have to, you know, see, stay in your lane. So for me, I'm, I'm, I'm quite good at like the getting out there, the building a list, the bringing on, you know, new, like new team members to branching out. I don't plan things. I just do it and hope it works out. And, and that's the way that 
it goes for me. And I, I think that that has been, you know, a real strength in the end that everything has worked out in the way that I wanted it to. So I'm, I'm really proud of that. It's so, um, yeah, it's so awesome to hear that you actually do consider yourself that because I, I'm probably the only people on this podcast that have admitted that, yeah, I'm like, yeah, of course I'm business savvy. I was like stealing food from my mum's pantry when I was 10 and selling it to our neighbours as like yeah. Girl Scouts. <laughs> do you have any like childhood memories of, I guess, maybe the start of your entrepreneur journey? Oh, my parents, my parents are entrepreneurs. You know, my dad arrived in Australia with like $30 and my mom was 21 when she took over her family business because her dad died. So I think like I, I always kind of could just feed off that energy and I could see how hard they worked. Like they worked so hard, like 12 hour days. And I guess for anyone out there, you know, who has parents from you know, that are from a different country, you probably know that feeling that, that kind of yeah. like they work really, really hard to make your life great. And I'm so grateful for them always. I think for me, my entrepreneur journey, yeah, I started all these like little social media businesses back when, you know, Instagram first popped up. Like, I think I started like a, a you know, those tattoos, those flash tattoos that had like yeah. the foil. I ordered all of these ones off AliExpress, <laughs> but you know, they were totally ripping off another brand. <laughs> and I didn't realize it was wrong back then. You didn't have these platforms. You didn't have people talking about that back in the day, but I, I used to love to make, like, I think I had a jewelry brand. I had, a, you know, the flash tattoos. I had a few different ones. And I, I always just used to dabble in them to see how they would go. And they were always like drop shipping businesses. And that was like way before we had these online courses on how to do this. And they worked. And then I would get sick of them. So I would just forget about them and people would make orders and they'd have to all get refunded because oh, I, no. I just wouldn't <laughs> like, send it out in the end. That's one thing that I'm really bad at going <laughs> oh, to the post that's office. The best. Yeah, I'm really bad at yes. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think on that, you touched on it before, but outsourcing what you're not good at. Like I hate the accounting side of things. I've actually now got James, my brother doing it for me because I just don't like it. And I think so many content creators hold on to this control that I have to be across every aspect of my business. But obviously with a team of 20 now, you've um, managed to outsource, you know, the things that you may be not passionate about or also that maybe aren't your skill set. So yeah. it's, um, it's important. I think for anyone listening that's in business to understand that we're not all amazing at everything and that's okay as well. Yeah, 100%. How much time weekly do you think you spend on content creating? Because your content is amazing. I'm interested to know who takes these photos. How how many shoots are you having to do? Me. I do it all. Amazing. <laughs> I do everything. I'm, I'm, I have a particular way that I like to be, you know, seen. I need it to be really like I'm, I'm I guess, maybe like a bit of I'm not a perfectionist, but I am a perfectionist. It's only in some areas. So I always have like, I love the creative element of that. I think that's really fun. Sometimes I definitely need to kick up the ass to get, you know, shit done. But, you know, that's why I have G to push me in that direction. Uh, and I do all of it. You know, I think it's so fun. I also think it's really healthy for me to be reminded of that kind of content and, you know, to, to be reminded of topics that people like. And I always take inspiration from my patients and the supervision that I give my staff. So that's where I get it. Um, obviously your job is being a sex therapist, but now sex, sex therapist, but now taking it online, you've managed to gain, I guess, different income streams. I guess what point do you start to realize you can make money from content creating or do you, uh, have you been able to monetize your page? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Mm. I'm really lucky. You know, when, when brands started to get interested in working with someone who talked about sex, it was about two, two years ago, probably 18 months ago that brands really thought, oh, we better catch up here. Like we've got to talk about sexuality. It's, it's, you know, we're ready. We're ready as a nation to be more sex positive. And when they started jumping on board, I'm really lucky that I was one of the people that has like a good track record and, you know, really has had a, a long history on social media before any paid work. So, you know, I guess it all pays off a little bit. <laughs> all the work that you do for free does get paid totally. off, but I still do a lot of stuff for free. Because then you, you get, you know, you get to do pro bono work. You get to feel like, okay, I can give back in this element as well, but I can still get compensated for this stuff. 
Absolutely. I think so many people often get shocked about the rates, you know, content creators charge online, but it's like, hey, you got to remember, like you just said, that you've done years and years of free content and it does take a lot of time as well. So so much work being, you know, doing content creation. It's so crazy. It's Oh my gosh. It it looks easy, but honestly, it's a (laughs) full-time job. It's crazy, but I love it. I love it. I'm so happy I get this opportunity. I know. I feel so privileged as well. I think, um, you know, if, if people think that our job looks effortlessest online and content creating, it's like, well, that's job well done because that is, I guess, what, yeah, what the content we put out there. There's a lot of behind the scenes and a lot of shit that often goes wrong as well. Today, what sort of collaborations are you offered? I imagine um, your team has plenty of ink, uh, sorry, plenty of emails flying in. How do you, I guess, filter what brands that you want to work with? Because I think as well, we can't say yes to every ad campaign because then it doesn't feel genuine. And also we can't love every single product out there. How do you filter or pick which ones you want to work with? I really only work with long-term collaborations. I want to work with people who really invest in me and the work that I do. So it has to be something long-term. It's not going to be like a one-off. I don't really do one-off posts. I do like six-month collaborations or, you know, 12-month collaborations because I want to be able to give the brands what they need. And I need to, you know, I, I, if you have a, a, a high trust brand, which means that you are very in tune with your followers and they really believe what you're saying, like, I am not here to be like, Hey, like, look at this when I don't know much about the product or I haven't used the product for a long period. So I really believe in long-term collabs because I only want to be authentic with my followers and tell them things that I really like. So if I am asked to look at like a product or like a service, I have to use that for a while before I actually promote it. So it, it, it's like, I'm all about that, that journey. I'm all about the journey. I'm not about like quick cash. Yeah, and obviously then your relationship with the brand not only grows, but your audience relationship with the your audience and the brand um, grows. And I think, yeah, it's uh, lots of people that jump on this podcast say a similar thing, like uh, no one's lo- no longer interested in quick quick ads um, because it, it does feel a bit disingenuous as well. Um, but also credit to you, obviously, and I'm not surprised for wanting to remain genuine and, and grow those relationships with the brands as well. In a week of your life, what does it look like? What's a typical week like for you? I don't even know. I don't have typical weeks. Like today, (laughs) you know, I have a very busy life. Obviously, I've also got a partner, Dylan Alcott, who is also busy. We are we just, we love Power to have couple. fun together. <laughs> yeah. Well, I forget, you know, sometimes I'm like, why are people asking for photos? I always, I'm so silly. Like I will forget like how incredible he is and how many people he influences, but we are such a normal couple. Like we love just watching movies and like binging series and snuggling with our dog. And we're really lucky at the moment. Our best friends are living with us for a while because oh, they're down from fun. Queensland. So we just, we just enjoy but a, a, a typical week is really hard for me to, to I guess, say because over the weekend we had Ability Fest, which is his music festival. Yes. Tomorrow, like today, I'm doing content meetings. Tonight I'm working with my staff supervising their sessions, my new staff. And then tomorrow morning I'm flying to Sydney for three days and hosting an event with – I'm hosting an event with Bumble and with Love Honey, one of my sponsors. Uh, and then I'm also, you know, recording my podcast up there as well. I'll fly back Friday and then I have a 10-hour day on Friday with back-to-back sessions and then my own psychology at the same time. And then oh. weekends, you're yeah, full of like weddings and stuff. So, yeah, I'm like, yeah. where do you sleep in there? Do you – <laughs> I do try and rest as much, but I jump, if I'm tired, I'll jump in my pool because it's freezing. I've already jumped in twice today because I'm Really? really tired and I feel good. Yeah. And it wakes you up. Yeah. Do you have to schedule yourself off downtime or I guess time where you're not online? Oh yeah. I'm a lot less online than I used to be. I just, I don't have the capacity for it. I'm also not an influencer. So I'm not, I'm not actually there to show people a huge amount of my life. And I will show more of that probably on, on Sunroom because, you know, then I can, people who want to see more of it will actually, you know, access it for a reason. But I don't think people are signing up to see more of me. They are really there for my content, but I, yeah, I'm in a way like, I don't have I don't have the time to be uh, online but I also 
to, to get rest time, I just try my best. All I do is try my best. I'm really yeah. cautious of burning out because I tend to burn out quite easily. But I think it's more about like just pacing yourself and being really realistic as much as possible. You said that obviously that you don't consider yourself an influencer. You have so much influence. Would you say an educator, an expert? Like what do you use instead of that term? Oh, I guess it is a bit of a it is a bit of a hybrid. So I consider myself to be more of an expert, expert opinions. And I, I also guess, yeah, I do influence as well. I understand that. I guess, you know, there's different ways that you can be an expert in different areas. And I think that anyone who is really promoting like a certain way of being, um, you know, feminism, you know, sex positivity, body positivity, you know, news, everything they can and if they're like if they're really good at it. I would consider them an expert, you know. And on that, do you have any tips for experts in their field that are perhaps not on social media or looking at expanding their reach because of social media? I think just go for it. I mean, be authentic. Don't listen to other people, I think. But, you know, if people if people critique you, take that on board. You don't have to actually follow through with what they say and they might absolutely be wrong. You know, I've had many people say really horrible stuff to me online and really critique me. And I think, you know, a couple of weeks ago I was saying to to um, G and to my closest friends, I was like, I'm really hating being on social media. I'm finding it to be a really negative space. It was affecting me how many people I would get being so critical, so mean. And I was like, why am I like, you know, you have to reconsider yeah. a lot then and go, oh, I don't think I'm enjoying this. But then, you know, it does, you just have to put up boundaries and you have to just let it slide. And I think with with anyone who's an expert in their area and who wants to go into this, just absolutely just go for it. Try your best. If people like your stuff, they'll catch on. And if they really like your stuff, you'll get a lot more attention, you know, than, than you would have thought. Like, I can't believe how many people want to listen to what I've got to say. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I just think it's, <laughs> I think just like take it as a grain of salt. Like don't, yeah. don't put all your eggs in one basket though. I really believe in having mm. different income streams and different ways of living, because if you rely solely on social media, it can be very harmful for your mental health. Absolutely. Yeah. Take a chance. I, I love that. I want to get into spill the bean section for a little bit of context. I actually started um, this segment on a Sunday during lockdown on my vegan pages about um, just encouraging people to, I guess, confess Sunday confessions or just whatever they wanted to get off their chest. And it's become this full segment. I have sponsors on board this week. I just launched like conversational car games because I'm so sick and tired of just having conversations about the weather and things that like don't really matter. Like I value vulnerable conversations so much. So on that, I want to get into a bit more of the juicy stuff today right now what is your favorite sex toy oh it's the love honey happy rabbit vibrator so this bit moves up and down against your g-spot and this bit uh, sits over the top of your clitoris and that's from love honey and i'm really lucky that you know i get to try these <laughs> you know that's yeah. a real bonus <laughs> as being a sexologist that's my favorite sex toy right now Amazing, guys. We'll pop a link to that in the show notes as well. What is your biggest turn off? People speaking, like people speaking over other people and interrupting them. I know that we all do it, but it is very annoying, like not taking others into consideration and not giving them the time and, and space to be themselves. I hear you. <laughs> Lack of ability to listen. <laughs> Absolutely. That's actually one of the questions um, in my decks of cards. And this is another one. What's your love language? I have two main ones, words of affirmation and physical touch. Do you think you have a different giving and receiving love language? Like, is, Do you prefer to receive it in a different way? No, I mean, I'm really lucky. I think like Dylan, I, I, he, he's kind of got the same, but I'm, I also ask for it. I'm like, give me, can I please have a hug or like give <laughs> oh. me affirmation? Like I'm pretty honest with it. Like, yeah. I, cause I, I know that if people don't like people aren't mind readers, like how, how is anyone else going to know what my love language is? I need people to 
like know so I can receive. Yeah. Yes. But I give all the love languages to people. I'm a real big giver. Giving is one of my love languages and sausage dog is my other love language. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) That's the best. It's just been so nice on that to be able to hug friends again. I think after this pandemic, like the lack of physical touch for people like yourself and myself as well that love physicality so much. It's just been so beautiful to see people hugging out and about again and not feeling like a germ. Yeah, 100%. Where do you get all your amazing content ideas from? Like I guess do you have particular people that you draw inspiration from or like you said, are you your own inspiration? It's just from, I I get it mainly from my patients. You know, if I'm seeing them about a particular issue, then I have to, you know, dive into that issue and I go, oh, this would be great to share on my social media. So I kind of, I have a list of topics that I continue to curate. I've just got it on the notes in my phone. And if I go, what am I going to talk about this week? Then I'll, you know, look in there and get some inspiration or I'll go for myself. Like, how am I feeling this week? What do I need to work on? Like, is there anything that I feel like is needed, like exciting or like, you know, I don't know, something I'm curious about or something that I haven't, I don't know that much about. So I'll research it and pop it up there. Awesome. I think any content creator's notes on their phone would just be absolute chaos because yeah, <laughs> it's just a brain thousands. dump of everything. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. On the content creator's side of things, obviously people would draw so much inspiration from your page. Is there a particular brand or campaign that you've seen recently that you're like, hey, that's something really cool um, that you've seen someone do or any particular content creators that you're loving at the moment? Oh yeah. Yeah. There's so many, you know, I'm, I'm excited because when I go to Sydney tomorrow, I'm going to see my online friend, Sophie T. She's an amazing artist, but she's going to be coming to this event and being one of the artists there. And my friend, Bianca Beers, Mika Hendra, I'm really, I'm really heavily influenced by art and how people portray sexuality. So definitely like it's, they're not campaigns, but though they are so talented and I, and I, I wish I was creative in an artistic way, but I'm just creative in different ways. I also take a lot of inspiration from fashion. I'm very lucky. My best friends are, you know, quite a lot of them are fashion designers. And Jackie, who's my bestie, makes a lot of the clothes that I wear for events. And I'm really always inspired by what she uh, creates. And, you know, she creates a lot of clothes for me too. I think she she's really in tune with what people like myself want to be wearing to feel erotic as well. So just super silky, luxe, you know, a lot of velvet, that kind of thing. Campaigns, I've just worked with The Body Shop on an amazing campaign as well, which is about spreading the love and they're they're giving a lot of their profits from their Christmas campaign back to uh, young carers, so people who donate their time as young people to like a family member who's unwell. And that means a lot to me because my grandma was had dementia for 10 years. So I was her carer for quite a long time and, you know, would stay at her place and bathe her and feed her and all of those kind of things. So I'm always influenced by people around me. You know, Love Honey does amazing things too, where they, they always come up with great content and they I, I have to create reels for them too. And these are like really funny things because I never thought being a sexologist that I would be creating reels and like TikToks, but like yeah, it's really fun. So yeah, I, I always get inspiration from them and I guess what they're focusing on in their campaigns too. What a rewarding journey. And I think it's so cool. Like you just never think about the brands and the ways you can collaborate, but it really does seem like it's never ending and it's exciting as well and an ever-changing landscape. With the content creating side of things, has there been any like hilarious behind the scenes fails during filming or making one of these reels or perhaps taking photos where things have just gone completely wrong that maybe your audience wouldn't have seen? Oh yeah, I'm sure. But I just, I don't even focus on those kind of things. I just keep moving. Like things go wrong every single day. Life is chaos. So I don't really, I don't really look at that. I just think, oh, well, keep enjoying whatever and just keep going. Absolutely. Any dream brands or collaborations out there that you'd love to work with or partner with one day? I mean, there's so many. I, I think I would just love to be I would love to see sexologists more in mainstream media and like fashion. I think it would be really cool to see them in brand, you know, in magazines like Elle and Vogue and Marie Claire. I'd love to see more, you know, see 
more kind of industries in the media really embrace sexologists, really take, you know, ask for their time and, you know, really speak about it in a positive way. Obviously, we've had Married at First Sight and we've had a sexologist on the show and I really think that she was amazing but she could have done with a little bit more time on the show and really be portrayed in a better way and I would love to see you know, I would love to do something like with Netflix or, you know, with with Binge or just like, I don't know, like SBS and do a show where you actually can dive into what is happening in, in other people's lives. You know, how do we how do we look at different cultures and their view of sexuality? So I'm really I'm really hoping that I can get a collaboration like that in the future, but we'll see what happens. Watch this space. I see it for you. But, (laughs) yeah, on that, like a Netflix sit down, that would be so cool to be able to like go more in depth and break break this down more. And it it is so rewarding and so great to see that like the landscape really is changing. You know, I think even conversations amongst me and my friends, like, you know, masturbation can so comfortably come up now where I feel like a couple of years ago it just wasn't there. And any time there's like a vibrator (laughs) sale, we're like, PSA, girls. <laughs> Everyone, go for it. Go, go, go. Will we ever see you release your own range of sex stories, or is that something you have explored or thought about? Yeah, I've had chats about it. I guess we'll see mm. what happens. It's totally, you know, production is something that I would love to do more so with with a brand. So with Love Honey, you know, I think it would be cool to to collaborate in that way. I think it's hard being in, in Australia because I think big brands don't really see that Australia the Australian market. But I think there's a I think there's definitely space for it. So we'll see what happens. On that, I think everyone's always like, you know, what's next? What's coming up for you? You've already done so much. And I think even just managing all that you've got going on. I mean, look at this week for you. It's already so, so busy. Is your plan just to kind of keep going and see what comes up or do you have a plan in place? No, I wing it. <laughs> I'm like, yes. something I mean, will What's come your star up. sign? Saggy. I'm a Sagittarius. Yes. So I'm ready okay. to travel again. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. I want to get inspo. I'm going to a sexology conference in February, you know, depending on how we go with mm. international travel, but that's mm-hmm. the next thing for me. And I'm, I'm just excited to be a, a student again, to be honest. Oh, so you're not speaking at it. No, I want. I don't want to speak at it. I want to be there to learn because oh. I haven't been a student in a while. So I think that would be really cool. These are with the people that taught me about sexology. So Amazing. I'm ready to sit my bum on that seat and take notes. Yes. Oh, so grateful for your time, especially hearing how busy you are. We end the um, podcast with this question for everyone. And I, I ask that it has nothing to do with sex, but if you could have one influence over something like a policy or a social cause, or even something as simple as getting people to floss their teeth, what would it be? Just getting people to have fun and be themselves, just be authentic. That's what I wish for people. And I think I'm good at having, I have a little bit of influence in that area. And I think that it, you know, people are seeing more and more of me. And I I think that I can make that area a bit bigger than it is. Yes. You're amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for for your time. I really enjoyed it. No, so grateful for Chantelle's time. I think we all need more open conversations online and in the media about sex. I still really struggle to even tell someone I have my period. I struggled coming out as bisexual. Even now when people ask me about my ex, sometimes I'll just lie and say that it was a guy because people assume that it was a guy. I think it's a really healthy reminder for us all to be more open and honest and understanding about sexuality because it does not look the same for all. I hope this conversation inspired you, taught you something. And if it did, definitely reach out to Chantelle or myself and let us know your feedback. Whether you hated it or not, I'm really grateful that you stuck with it. If you're still here, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'll definitely be checking out Sunroom when it launches. Sounds like a really great concept. And from what I've learned so far, it's really focused on female creators. Guys, this show was hosted by me, Renee Buckingham, edited and produced by my brother, James Buckingham. Mixing and mastering was by Raf Chavez from Big Mastering. And you legends, the listeners, thank you so much for hanging in there. Don't forget to click subscribe, click like, click follow, tag us on Insta, you know the drill. And I will be back in your ears next week with our Content Creators Monthly. Don't forget we have a voicemail section too if you want to leave us a message. We'd love to hear from you. Bye-bye.